We have been in this series uh, on faith. And when you, talk about, when you talk about faith, there's all kinds of different elements and different uh, perspectives that you can have about it. But if you've been with us in this series, we started in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, Jesus, is, he heals the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood has the faith to reach through the crowd. She's healed. And, and then we moved on to uh, Jairus' daughter who, when Jairus came to Jesus and asked him to heal his daughter, she was sick. But through the journey, we read in the scripture that she died, and Jesus said, have faith, don't be afraid, just believe that she is not dead, she's just asleep. So last week, we talked about the lens of faith, that literally, when you look at any situation, we should look through that lens, that we see possibility. I, I want to continue today by going to Mark chapter 6. So Jesus is on fire. Jesus is healing. Jesus is going viral. People are talking about him. There's all kinds of things happening. And Mark chapter 6 happens. Mark chapter 6 verse 1 says, He, Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown. He came home. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? They were astonished at his teaching. They asked, where did he get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So they were astonished at his teaching, but they also took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives, anybody say amen to that, in his own household, we'll just move on, and he could do, listen to this, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, pause, for many of us, we'd be pretty pumped about that. This this is, when you read the scripture, you got to really look at it and, and look at what's being communicated. We would go crazy. For Jesus just to lay his hands on a few sick people and for them to recover. I mean, we, we, we would have testimony videos. Man, we'd be talking about it. We'd be doing, we'd be worshiping, doing our praise, getting our praise on, all of this. But it, it says that actually he was limited in his power. He said he couldn't do no, he could, not he, not he should not or he would not, he could not. Do any mighty work there. What's a mighty work? You ever think about that? I mean, Jesus still healed a couple people. So what's the, what is the mighty work? Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. They were astonished at his teaching, and he was astonished at their doubt. They were astonished at his teaching, and he was astonished at their doubt. And he went out among the villages teaching. Now, this is, this is like one of my favorite uh, times of the year because, one, football season is back. Anybody say amen to that? A couple of you. Football season is back, and I grew up in Washington State, and, and, and so I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. Hold the booze, the tomatoes, all of the stuff. And uh, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, but I've been a fan since as long as I can remember. Like when they were really bad, I was a fan. So I always believed in them when, when, when they were actually terrible. All right, so you just, that, that takes real faith. 
All right, it takes real faith to believe in your team when, when, when they're awful. And, and honestly, the, the, the people that have the, the, the most faith, the greatest faith, are Cowboys fans. <laughs> no, I'm commending you because that is, that's really, I'm, but you cannot keep a Cowboy fan down. Every year is the year. I mean, that is like, this is, this is the year. And that's, that's, that's great faith. That's great faith. It, I, I've been seeing this a lot. There, there's a lot of, like, new chief fans. All right, so there's a lot of new. Now, some of y'all have been chief fans. I know you've been chief fans for a long time, like way back. But there's some new ones because they've been winning. All right, so then this is like the new thing. Now we're all chief fans. And then they try to pretend like, oh, I've always been a chief fan. My great-great-uncle, he was from Kansas City, so I can't. No, you've never. You, they won a Super Bowl, and then you became a chief fan. Okay, let's just be honest. And then we know the greatest faith of all is to be a Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> I mean, that is just like, that's great. That's great faith. That's, that's one even Jesus would marvel at. That's... <laughs> That is some great faith. If you play for Cleveland, we love you. We're praying for you. If you're here from Cleveland, we're praying for you. <laughs> Never, uh, you got great faith. This is, this is what, what's wild to me is that when a team wins, all of a sudden they gain all kinds of fans. And people start loving them because of what they've accomplished. So I want you to see this. When Jesus taught, everybody was astonished. But astonishment doesn't mean faith. Just because you're amazed at what God did doesn't mean that you had faith to believe that he could do it. See, see, see faith is not on the, on the, after the end result. Faith is before the thing starts. So, so if you've got faith, it's not because God did something. You have faith before he did it. And, and th this is a problem with Fairweather fans, is that they only jump on the bandwagon after the team has done something. So now they've been astonished, and now they become a fan. But if you really had faith before that team ever did anything, and before that team ever won anything, you would actually believe that they could because astonishment is reactive but faith is proactive it says that these people were astonished at Jesus's teaching look at listen to this message wow it's incredible another translation says they marveled they were amazed but yet these were the same people that had no faith so it tells me this, that, that you can even be a part of a, a church, or you can come to a gathering, or you can sit in a room like this where we worship, and, and you can be astonished at what God does after he does it. But what we're talking about is people that have faith before he does it. See, that, that, that's what great faith is. Great faith actually can see it before they see it. They actually step into it before it happens. They, they believe God at his word, that before you actually see the results of it, you're believing that God could do something. They, they, they were astonished. They reacted to what they heard. But faith is an initiator. Faith is proactive. Faith climbs a tree to see Jesus. Faith reaches through a crowd. Faith shouts above the haters. Faith gets out of the boat. Faith steps into rivers at flood stage. Faith will march around the city. Faith believes before you can see. Faith looks risky, and faith takes God at his word. 
That's what faith does. Faith, faith, faith goes ahead. When we're talking about great faith, we're talking not just about your faith in Jesus for salvation, but also we're talking about this different level of faith that unlocks supernatural power because Jesus said he could not do many miracles there. And I'm worried that we don't have a watered-down church in America that sits and waits for God to do something, and when he finally does, we're all astonished. But we don't understand that we actually have initiating power, that, that we, by our faith, can begin to activate the supernatural. It said in, in verse 3, it says, is this not the carpenter? So, so they're astonished, but then they begin to say, this is Jesus. We know this guy. This is, this is Joseph's son. This is, how could he have that type of power? You know what they begin to do? They begin to dishonor him. Or in another word, you could say this, they became familiar with him. Familiarity is very dangerous in the world of faith. Because when you become familiar, you treat as common that which is holy. Whenever you get familiar in a relationship, you begin to rob it of some of its honor. You can get familiar in your marriage. You can get familiar in your worship of God. You can get familiar with how God works. And that familiarity, Proverbs says familiarity breeds contempt. You get used to something. It just becomes normal. It becomes natural. It begins to be expected. So now you stop treating as holy, which is holy, but now you treat it as common. I, I taught this, the staff this last year on, on the work of ministry and how the work of ministry or our work, the Bible says this, do everything as unto the Lord. Everything we do is holy. You don't just go to a job. It's holy. You, you, don't, just, you don't just have a family. It's holy. Whatever you work, work you do should be holy unto God because it's not for me. It's for him. And if you're not careful, you can just get familiar with life. And this life can become common. It's just common. It's just, it's just what we do. We just work our nine to five and we save for the retirement. And, but we miss that this journey in life is not about us. It's really about him. And when you have kingdom focus or kingdom perspective, then you understand that I cannot get familiar with God and what he's doing. He's holy and deserves to be treated as holy, worshiped as holy. If he was common... We could come in here and just have a common worship. If he was common, we could just have common praise. But when he's holy, that's why you see what you see. Because when you come into a room like this and you understand how big he is, how massive he is, how great he is, and how amazing he is, how holy he is, you, you step out of familiarity and you step into honor. You ascribe him worth. He's holy. What you dishonor, you, all, you oftentimes disconnect from. So, we, so when we dishonor the thing that should be holy, you disconnect from him who is holy. When you, the, the opposite of honor is dishonor. So I know many of us think, well, well I don't, I'm not dishonoring. No, the opposite of honor is to treat something holy as common is dishonor. And this is what the people in the crowd with Jesus began to do is they were astonished at his teaching, but they were familiar with who he is. They treated him as common. In verse 3 in the message translation, it says, they tripped over 
what little they knew about him and fell sprawling and they never got any further. You know, I, I think that for many of us as Christians, we fall over what little we know about God and it keeps us, let me, let me describe it this way. You believe in faith for something and it doesn't happen the way you thought. So now you trip over what little you don't know. You know about God, and for some, for some of us, we never move any further. We never believe again. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it this way. You don't want a God that you can understand. If you can understand God, he ceases to be God. If you, if you think on the same wavelengths as God, he ceases to be God. He is bigger. He is better. He is broader. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. I don't want a God that I can understand. The fact that I can't understand him is why he's God. And I have to subject myself and surrender myself to him because he's God. I, I oftentimes think it's humorous how, how we can get so mad at God. Like, like we're mad at him, at, at God. Just say it slowly and it'll start to sink in. You are mad at God. You're, you're going to lose that battle 10 times out of 10 times. He's God. So you can, you can live your whole life bitter and resentful and mad at him, or you can just understand, I don't understand him. I don't think on that level. I don't know why he did it or didn't do it, but he's God. If you think, or even if you have the posture that you're mad at God, you are considering yourself an equal to God. Once... If you feel like you have the, i got to just wind it back a little bit. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Put your steel-toed boots on. If, if you have the permission to be mad at him, you are starting to treat him as common instead of holy. If, if, if we've got the familiarity with God that we can say, we're mad at you, God. He's God. At some point, we have to trust his character and his nature and know that he works all things together for our good. And I know he didn't answer like you wanted. He didn't come through in the time frame you wanted. I know. And you have to trust that he works all things together for good. Well, that doesn't make sense. I don't know if he's a good God. I know you don't. But that's why you're not God. And he is. I would have done things differently. I know. I would have done a lot of things differently. I would have used that lightning power a little bit more. Like, you know what? Not you, you got to go. <laughs> Say your prayer real quick. Let's do the salvation prayer real quick because I'm going to send you there. Like, that's, I would have used that, that lightning power. But, but he's full of grace and mercy. And I don't know why he does some things. I don't know why sometimes he answers quickly. Sometimes he answers slowly. And I don't know why sometimes he'll heal someone instantly and another person he won't. But I know this, that I can't understand him because he's bigger, greater. His thoughts and his ways are not my thoughts and my, and, 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 and my ways. So I have to lean into trusting who he is. And what he's done and his character, that he's a good God, that he works all things together for my good. T.D. Jake says this, the anointing you respect is the anointing you receive. You, you cannot receive something from God if you don't respect what you're receiving. 
That we, we have to hold him in high esteem. The psalmist says it like this in Psalm 34. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Magnify. To make large. This is not to add something to God. This is to recognize how big he is. Because everything in our life tries to shrink God down to our understanding. When we magnify him, we do this through worship, or we do this through praise. We make him large in our eyes. It's not something different than he is. It's being able to ascribe to him what is really his. The word magnify means literally to make great. And then to make great in the view of the mind. Or to regard and treat as great. The psalmist invites to join with him by ascribing greatness to the Lord by magnifying him. For he cannot be made great by men, only declared how great he is. Familiarity will keep you from seeing the greatness of God. So pastors passed away now. He wrote a book called Great Faith. He says the only thing that we humans made in the image of God can do to bless God is to worship him. Give him our praise, give him our love, give him our adoration, tell him how great he is, use all known adjectives in attempting to describe him. Deplete our word bank expressing his wonder. Empty our spiritual dictionary portraying him. Exhaust our emotional reserves endeavoring to pay tribute to him. Praise him with all of our heart and let him know we love him with everything that is within us. Such deeds will bless him. When, when God is made big, our problems are made small. If you find yourself in worry, it's because the problem looks big. But when you begin to worship, or you begin to treat as holy, or you begin to ascribe worth to God, now we've made him big and our problems begin to seem small. It, it said in verse 5, it says, and he could do no mighty work there. We said this already, not he should not, or not he would not. It's that he could not. And this is very interesting to me. Why could Jesus not do what he wanted to do? Do you ever think about this? How was his power limited? But honestly, when I read it, I got excited. Because if we have the power to limit his power, if we have the ability to limit his power, then we also have the ability to unlock his power. See, there's some people that think that we can't affect what God wants to do. That's not true. And, and, and unless you erase Mark chapter 6 from your Bible, because Jesus was anointed by God. And it says that he could not do any mighty work because of their unbelief. So God wanted to do more. God had the ability to do more, but he was limited by the, I call it this, the collective faith. See, see, Jesus still was anointed by God, and he still healed some people. He says he, the only thing he could do is lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. So there was still isolated miracles, and I'm worried that the American church has settled for isolated miracles instead of collective faith. 
that if we would raise the water level of faith, then maybe God could do a mighty work. And we won't know until we begin to stir our faith and begin to believe that God can do what he said he will do. And when we come into this house or your house or your church with collective faith, it enables God to do what he wants to do. But I think for many of us, we just wait for God to do something so that we can be astonished. But astonishment is not faith, and astonishment is still limited. I don't want limited power. I don't want God to look at our time on earth and say he wanted to do great things, but he could not except save a couple people, touch a couple families because of their unbelief. Theological, theologically, people have difficulties with this because they want to believe that whatever God does, he'll do, and we can't affect it at all. But I've got a problem with a theological stance because Mark chapter 6 stands right in the way and says that Jesus could not because of their unbelief. That's what it says right in our Bible, that they, he could not because of their unbelief. But this was my encouragement. If we can limit God's power, then we can also unlock it. And I believe today God wants to stir great faith in you to know that there are ways or keys to unlock the supernatural power of God. It takes faith to accept Jesus as your Savior. But there is a faith, a perpetual faith, that you can live in and walk in that takes every impossible situation and sees it through a lens of faith that says the impossible thing can be possible. If you're going to live in unlimited power, let me give you a couple things. To walk in unlimited power, it's really practical. You need worship that makes God big. Did, did you know that when we sing songs at the beginning of a service, it, it's not to pass the time until you get here? When, well, that hit a little harder than it should have, okay? So next time get ready a little faster. It's, it's not to warm us up for the message. It's not to give us time to park and get our coffee so we don't miss whatever's being spoke about that day. Worship is the part of the service that's for him. This right here, this is for you, to equip the saints for work of ministry. But our worship, that's for him. It's not about me. It's to make sure he knows that we're not seeing you as common. God, we lift you up because you are great and greatly to be praised. You are worthy of all of my affection and all of my worship. That, that part of the service, that's for him. I need worship that makes God big. You know, when I worship God, it's really difficult for me to worry about my problems. And if I'm worrying about my problems while I'm worshiping, I need to worship more because the more I worship, the bigger God gets. And the bigger God gets, the smaller my problem looks. Worship that makes, not worship that's self-centered. Worship that makes God big is worship or ministry that's to God. We should exhaust our vocabulary with praise to God. This would be a good exercise this week. Just sometime on your way to work, on your way to school, somewhat, just exhaust your vocabulary in giving praise to God and watch what happens. You are going to begin to see him 
as more powerful. You're going to see him as more able than you ever have. Worship that makes God big. The second is this, very practical. Prayers that make our needs known. Prayer is a statement of dependence on God. When, when you pray, when you ask God for something, some of you are too polite with God because you don't want to burden him. Because you think he has limited ability like you do. He's not stressed out about your requests. He's good. We already talked about this. He's God. So you can bug him all you want. In fact, Jesus said this is the way that you should pray when you pray. And he gives a story about a persistent widow that annoyed a judge until she got the answer. And he told his disciples, he goes, and, and that's how you should pray. To annoy God? It's like, that's not top of my priority list. It's like, you're going to hear from me. It's like, no, no I'm going to be careful. But I, he says to be persistent. In fact, James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Some of y'all confessing to your accountability partner. Can you make sure that you have somebody that prays for you? Because otherwise, we're just rehearsing past mistakes. But when you pray, you have the ability to see them healed. It says, pray so that you may be healed. That word healed is not just physical. It's actually a healing that takes place in the mind or in the soul. It takes place like if you're depressed, it can heal you. If you're bound in sin, it can heal you. So we confess, which is powerful to one another, but we pray. We ask, have someone agree with us in prayer. And you know why? It says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So I have worship that makes God big, but then I have prayer that makes my need known. And God is not getting tired of your prayers. In fact, he invites them. He's the one that told us to pray this way, to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Make a list, draw out your requests, but do it after you have worshiped. Because if you pray and make your needs known before you've made God large, then you will sound like a beggar instead of a son or instead of a daughter. When you make God big and then you make your prayers known, you actually pray with faith because he has the ability to answer them. If you just pray out of desperation, you just beg him to do something because you're lowly and you're in need and you need him to save you. But when your God is big, you ask with a different authority. And if you saw God for who he was, I, I, I don't know if you ever like uh, had children that ask for money. But they, they don't have a problem. Like if they know you got it, they don't have a problem. They're not shy, not ashamed, not nothing. Can I have that? Can you buy that? And, oh man, I don't have the money right now. I saw you buy this, Dad. I'm like, what? Like, where, where did, where, how do you even know that? Be, because they, they know that you have more than they do. But they also know they're in the family. So the, there's, there's, there's a confidence that comes on kids when they ask their parents for something versus them asking a stranger. Some of your prayers are like you're asking a stranger. Because you've never treated him as holy and made him large. God, you're worthy. You are the God of the impossible. 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is, think about it. Is, is mental illness too hard for the Lord? Is infertility too hard for the Lord? Is debt too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? When you worship, you begin to see him as he is. When you pray, it's a statement of dependence. And the last one is this. And we talked about this last week. It's faith that sees the possibility. If, if you haven't listened to the whole series, you need to go back and listen to some of these other messages because it'll actually unlock great faith for you. Because last week we talked about the lens of possibility, the lens of faith. But the lens of faith pulled apart is this. It's worship that makes God big. It's prayer that makes my needs known. And then, then I really can look through the lens of possibility. I want, I want to show you something as we end that really helped me because sometimes it helps me to see the worst case scenario or the other side. If you're going to live by faith, you'll hear me talk about this. We're going to live by faith. What's the alternative? You don't get to be in neutral. You live in faith. You live in unbelief. There's not like a, I think I'm just in the middle. No, you're not in the middle. You're either in faith or you're in unbelief. I don't like that great faith stuff, that hyper faith stuff. You know what? I really believe this, is that in every situation that we, we make all kinds of money on and theological stances on and write books at and record curriculum on, Jesus is probably not over here in hyperfaith, and he's probably not over here on the other side. He's probably right here in the middle. About every situation in your life right now, you could probably find Jesus in the middle. Hyperfaith says, blab it and grab it. You want, you want a Mercedes? Say you want a Mercedes, and God's going to give it to you. Hyperfaith. All right? Well, there's a power in your confession. There's a power in that. But that's hyperfaith. It, 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 it removes us from the balance of also being anchored to the Word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. But then there's this other side that they think faith is just whatever happens, happens. And that's faith. I was actually listening to a, a Bible teacher that I really respect. I listened to a lot of his stuff and a lot of different topics, and he was talking about faith. And, and he was talking about faith like this. He was talking about faith like astonishment. And I wish that him and I were in a room or at coffee together because I'd love to discourse with him about this because he said his faith was that at the end of the journey, whatever, whatever happens, God will work it for good. Well, I believe that. But it's only one part. It's this is that's actually not faith. That's trust. Does this make sense? Faith sees it before it happens. So you can't have the end result and then have faith. That's just trusting that God's good, trusting His character and nature. But faith goes before. It's before I see it. God, you said it. I believe you're going to do it. I'm going to keep looking through the lens of possibility. I'm going to I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to stand by your word. And then whatever happens, if it's not the way I wanted it or not the way I envisioned, then I stand over here and say, I trust, God, that you work all things together for our good. But these people usually had a bad experience with faith, prayed for somebody. They didn't get healed. They didn't get delivered. And so now they stand here so they can understand God but you're never going to understand God 
and you, almost, and you also limit the great work of God that he wants to do because he could not do many works there because of their unbelief, except lay his hands on a few people and heal them. I'm going to tell you, this church, we are not satisfied with the random laying on of hands on a few people. We are believing for a great work. And I want to show you what faith does. Faith turns the power on. Faith turns the power on. I want to show you this. If you treat God as common, you're choosing unbelief. When you treat him as holy, you're turning the power on. Faith activates the power. So not only that, but if you live common, you treat God as common, then you will live with a limited power or a limited ability. With this thought, some things are possible. But when you have faith and you treat him as holy, you live with the attitude, all things are possible. And if you choose faith, he's holy, all things are possible, then you give yourself access to unlimited power. Now this is not like you become a superhero and you just got all this power at your, this is, you are not the block to what God wants to do. Because it says God could not do many miracles. So there were people that were blocking what God wanted to do because of their unbelief. If you treat him as common, you will see some things as possible. And you will see limited power. I'm not saying you'll see no power. I'm just saying you're going to see limited power. And you're going to be like these people in our text in Mark chapter 6 that are astonished. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants to activate great faith in you so that you don't have to be astonished at what God did, but you can have faith in what he's about to do. I don't care what anybody said about you or over you or about your future. When you have faith, you believe that God's just getting started, that God's still accomplishing something in my heart. And I know some things didn't happen the way you wanted to, and God didn't answer some prayers the way you wanted to answer them, but you can lean on the character and nature of who he is, that God works all things out together for his good. And I don't know why. But I still believe because he is God and I am not. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. So I'm going to continually stand in faith. Because if the choice is faith or unbelief, friends, I'm choosing faith. I'm choosing faith. Well, I don't know. I don't know about all that faith stuff. Can can I help you with something? There are, I, I don't ever trust a critic of faith who has not walked in faith. It's like armchair quarterbacks. Right? I love all your critiques, but if you never played, do you even know? All these faith, anti-faith experts, if you've never walked in faith, if if you've never, if you've never seen him as holy, if you've never had an unlimited perspective that all things are possible with unlimited, then you don't get to be a critic of faith. Otherwise, you're trying to justify your complacent position. Oh, that, that's too much. That's too much. I can say it softer. I can say it softer. You, you're missing out 
on an adventurous life of the supernatural power of God. And I believe this, that even right now, in this moment, God wants to activate faith. For some of you, you've served God all your life, but you've never, you've served God all your life, you've followed him all your life, but you've always been astonished at the things he did, but you've never been an activator that is where this thing gets fun. You know what we're doing with the Dream Center right now? We're saying we're activating. We, we are activating God. You're big enough. You're powerful enough. You can do all things. So we trust you. So we're stepping into a place of faith. And we're saying we, be, we believe you. Are we scared? Yeah. Is it risky? Yeah. But I told you a couple weeks ago, you know what the worst thing that can happen when you step out in faith? I'm sure you can think of some dire situation, but let me tell you, the worst thing, let's just use the Dream Center. The worst thing that can happen is that God doesn't come through. He doesn't provide. And what? I'm embarrassed. That's the worst thing that can happen. I mean, what? Like, we stopped the construction. Oh, man. Oh, man. We're just, well, look on the other side. If we never stepped, save my entire life, just, just do it naturally, when I'm 75, maybe see the completion of it because I did it in my own strength, or how about a supernatural component? That we say, God, we're going to take you at your word. There's people that need to hear you. There's people that need rescuing. There's people that need saving. So we're going to put ourselves so far out there that if I'm embarrassed, oh, well, at least I was embarrassed believing him. At least I was embarrassed standing in faith. At least I was embarrassed believing that God is holy, that all things are possible, and he has unlimited power.